Welcome in. I am Joe Hunk. I'm getting everything set up as we go along. Make sure that you give us a follow, give us a like. KCPN. Kansas City Podcast Network is where you can see and hear everything that we are doing with the Kansas City Podcast Network. Look, I'm telling you, we have a ton of stuff coming up here in the next few weeks uh, that are going to be adding to all the shows that we currently do on KCPN. But the purpose of We The Fans is to talk a little bit about what is happening around the SEC. But before we get into today, I want to let everybody know that is listening uh, right now through our podcast. You can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, those types of places. Uh, We're going to have video going up today with the show. So if you are just getting the podcast side of this, Go and like us on Facebook, give us a follow on Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, wherever that is, and you kind of get the full experience of what is happening on KCPN. But before we start talking about what in heaven's name has happened around the SEC over the last seven days, we have got to talk about what is and what will always be the game of the weekend, and that is Navy an army taking place at West Point in New York City. This was such an amazing football game for so many reasons that had nothing to do with football. We appreciate everything that Army and Navy does for college athletics as well as for our country. This was the first time that this game took place since on at West Point's campus since 1943. If you didn't know, and you're kind of watching this game, and you turned it on, and you went and you went, wait a second, why do they have so many cadets and and midshipmen and and, and all of this in the crowd? How is this possible? Well, the reason is uh, not only is Army just staying on campus, so all of those players and all of the fans and all of the cadets have all been tested for COVID-19 and they've all passed, but there was a group of Navy uh, midshipmen, and I always forget what you're calling, what you're supposed to call the Navy cadets, and I apologize for that, but they were sent and they've been on West Point's campus for a little over a couple of weeks now so that they could go to this football game, And, and as these highlights are rolling right now, just know that this game had nothing to do with the triple offenses and, and all this. You had amazing uniforms, which one of them being Army, and you'll see it right there, the Wolfhounds, that they were commemorating on their uniforms uh, as they were going throughout the week. And you've seen the, the memorabilia and all that stuff has been sold with this. But then you also had Navy who was rocking to me what is one of the coolest helmets that you will see. And it has to do with their marble and some of their uh, buildings throughout their campus on, uh, on Navy where they train. So that was kind of the purpose and the thought of these uniforms and what was making them. And what's also interesting, as you see on the highlights right here, they started going to that sky cam a lot more during this game. You'll see this uh, across college football with some of these games, specifically with what happened with LSU and Florida over the weekend in their games that they in that game that took place they started going to that sky cam because of the fog 
And that was the only way that you could really watch the game because of that fog that was starting to roll in. That was really the only way that you were going to get to see the shoe being thrown. But we'll talk more about that as the day or as the show goes along. So make sure that you give us a follow. You can comment, especially if you are on Facebook. Because you're getting that full experience and your comments is going to pop up uh, as we go throughout the day today. Now, this football game between Army and Navy is, is always ugly. And I mean ugly as in it's really hard to watch. But I also believe that this is the one time a year that quality of play hat means nothing. And that's the reason why we do pay attention to what happens in this game. And as this is is continuing throughout the weekend, and as we remember this game, this game is what is so amazing about college football. I have members of my family that are both Army and Navy. They're Marines as well. So for me, I really enjoy this game. I am always going to be Go Navy. I have a family friend that's in the Navy right now. I'm always going to be Navy on this because I was almost a Marine myself. So I'm always looking that way. But I knew that Army was, was going to be the better team and was going to win that game uh, on Saturday. So special thanks to those guys as that game was absolutely fantastic. But we're here to talk about the SEC, man, and what took place. Now, there's a few places that we could travel with this, but before we get into what I know everybody in the state of Alabama has been talking about and will continue to talk about, and that is the head coach of the Auburn Tigers being fired and Gus Malzahn, there was another game that, that was that was a lot bigger as far as the national landscape is taking place, and that would be LSU in Florida. Kyle Trask, and you see it in this pass, had an amazing game on Saturday. Okay, yes, he threw two interceptions, but he also had four touchdown passes. He are four touchdowns, two rushing, two passing. And in this game, he also threw for over 475 yards in this game. Anybody that questions his Heisman candidacy going into this week or whatever did not pay attention to the game because they're solely looking at what happened between LSU and Florida and the final score. LSU came to play, and I have to say it in this manner because I don't think Florida did. Florida played in a football game on Saturday. They shut Kyle Pitts down right as the game was about to start. They said that it was precautionary reasons because of an injury. But I think that what happened is, is if this had been the SEC championship, if this would have been a college football playoff, the national championship, he would have totally played and they wouldn't have even given it a second thought. But since this is the the LSU game, I think that Florida said, you know what? Uh we're just going to go ahead and shut it down and you can just, you know, take the night off because we've got it under control with LSU. And that's not what happened. Kyle Trask throws a pick six. He did have he did have the two touchdown passes, but Florida looked lazy in this football game. As you see the replay of the pick six, they looked like the entire week they counted this as a dub, not knowing that this was a rivalry game. And this is one of the worst offenses or one of the worst defenses in college football, not just in the SEC, but in college football. And 
Florida was not able to do anything truly with this team until they got into the third and fourth quarter. This first half was just god-awful. And you see Kyle Trask and LSU getting pressure that they haven't really gotten pressure all year with. And Kyle Trask had to come back and truly win this football game for his team. Look at this deep ball that he's throwing. Tremendous pass. Beautiful pass by him. And that is the Kyle Trask that we really know and are starting to see the reason why he is considered a Heisman finalist. And the reason, though, look at this interception. I mean, seriously, what kind of interception is that? In reality, what kind of interception is that? That is one of those interceptions where you just go to the sidelines and go, look, man, It goes off my fingertips. It goes off the helmet of a player. A player that fell out of bounds is the first one that's able to still get up and make the interception. You can't make that stuff up. Eventually, Florida takes the lead. We think that it's going to be all well and good. Then the second half begins to start. You see kind of the the way that the Florida fans are looking in that picture. They're just like, okay, thank God. Just thank the absolute Lord that, that we were able to get this. Now let's go ahead and get into it. But here's the problem. Then you start having what happened at the end of the first half. Blown coverage on this play. Florida or LSU runs it in, takes the lead late, and you're still thinking, wait a second. This is going to be the end of the game or the end of the half. Kyle Trash drops back. Kyle Trash fumbles the football. And then LSU picks it up, gets out of bounds, and you look at the clock. There's nine seconds to go in this, even after the ball rolls out of bounds. They have another opportunity to kick a yet another field goal, and they go up 24 to 17 to wrap up the first half. And that was not how that was supposed to go. And you could just see the laziness in the way the Florida Gators were playing. Halfway through the third quarter, LSU scores another field goal. So now they're up by 10. And this is where America starts turning over like, holy crap. Is, 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 is LSU about to beat Florida? And then you see this play, which is an absolute tremendous touch pass by Kyle Trask as he then gets right back into the red zone and Tony gets him in this. And then they end up scoring this touchdown by Kyle Trask as he dives over the pile. Okay, you're back in the game. And then this is kind of how the second half is going to continue to go is you're going to see them going back and forth and eventually – you're going to get to the point after you see what happens with this Florida play that then it's kind of LSU that kind of had to step up because Kyle Trask was dropping dimes. I mean, absolutely dropping dimes. That should have been a touchdown, but the receiver trips on the cornerback, and then Kyle Trask does throws this wide receiver screen where Tony then runs in for a touchdown, and once again, LSU has given up the lead to Florida, and Florida is back on top. That is where we kind of thought that LSU was going to give up, and then this crap happens, and you have another broken cover Coverage by Florida. Their secondary has been totally in question this entire season, and that is where next week against Alabama, it's going to be a much bigger issue than what it has been in the season, except for this game. Because then, boom, touchdown LSU. They take the lead, and now look at the score. Okay. Because this score is then where if you miss what happened in this football game, that is where this now starts to get kind of interesting. Okay, this is where one player's legacy, and it's after this field goal kick, is basically going to be made for Florida if they do not win the SEC championship, do not make it the college football playoff. Here's the shoe throw. Dump pass. Florida makes the stop. 
Fall, the shoe falls off. There goes Marco Wilson throwing the shoe. He, you can see his teammates are pissed at him for throwing that shoe. And then that results in a first down for unsportsmanlike conduct. Then after you see this, I mean, I'm watching this and I see this as I'm swapping back and forth for Florida and LSU and Auburn and Mississippi State. And I cannot believe that this is going to be what potentially cost Florida a national championship. They would still have to obviously go through the SEC championship and college football playoff. But this play alone is what may have just cost them. Now, there's there's questions about this, and we'll get to those in just a second. But this play then sets up the extremely long field goal through the fog, which, look, you can't even really see Florida's players right now through the fog. That's why they started going to that sky cam late on, later on in the football game. And boom, you see this. I mean, we're going to give you every single potential angle of this, and you see this throw by Marco Wilson. That leads now to this play that sets up an extremely long field goal attempt for LSU. Now, even though they eventually get the field goal right here as the 57-yarder through the fog, this is a ballsy kick. I mean, you don't even see it because the, the screens or the uh, the camera lens is, is wet. You've got the fog, the precipitation on it. It's extremely hard to see. And Florida still had the opportunity to get back in it. Look, with 22 seconds, Kyle Trask makes this throw, gets out of bounds, and they have the opportunity to tie the football game up. And Florida misses that field goal to then lose the football game. And that is how LSU wins this game. This whole game was crazy. And it's amazing to watch these two teams play. And yes, Grace even said, this game had me sweating and I don't even care about these teams. Look, this had me sweating and I want both teams to lose. I do. Now, I am I'm an agent of chaos. I'm never going to say that I'm not because I absolutely love seeing chaos happens just so we can see how people react. Yes, I know it sounds like the Joker from... from uh, Gotham, but from Batman and the second Batman movie, I understand it. Okay, but the Dark Knight, it's kind of like with 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 Ohio State and Michigan. I really wanted Michigan to cancel that football game just because I wanted to see what would happen with college football. I assumed the Big Ten would have an emergency meeting and get Ohio State into the conference championship game. But what would have happened if they hadn't have done that? If they had not had called the special meeting, get Ohio State into the game, and now Ohio State gets left out of the college football playoff and the Big Ten championship because they can't play more than like five or six games. I wanted to see it happen, so I was so pumped when that happened. This is another game where the where the chaos has now had and cause so many questions because we all think that Florida's eliminated, right? Like we all think that, that, that Florida is gone, but if they beat Alabama, Alabama's still in. There's no way that the college football playoff committee is, is holding Alabama out. Even if they get blown out 45 to nothing, which if they get blown out 45 to nothing, there's going to be like 15 coaches fired the next day. But if Florida as a two loss team who is who has lost to Alabama and LSU, or not Alabama and LSU, but 
to Texas A&M and LSU, Texas A&M is a legitimate college football playoff contender. Now, they should have lost to Auburn last week, but they are a legitimate college football playoff contender. So they could be in regardless as to what happens over this weekend. But then Alabama is definitely in. So there's two. Florida is your SEC champion and is the, and the champion of the best conference in college football, arguably. Yes, I'm a little biased, but yes. And then you've got Clemson. You have Notre Dame. What happens if Clemson wins? What do you do with Notre Dame? Then you still have Ohio State. See how all these questions and all the chaos that can happen. I want Florida to win the SEC championship just because I want to see the ripple down effect. And I want Clemson to beat Notre Dame, which we all kind of think that's exactly what's going to happen. And I want Ohio State to win the Big Ten championship. So now we have this humongous little intertwining chaos explosions going across the country not really but we're talking metaphorically and then all these people in Dallas are going to be just having to figure every bit of this out and it is so glorious to see what could possibly happen just because Marco Wilson decided that he wanted to throw his shoe and really somebody really and truly tried to say that Marco Wilson was just trying to get the foot, just trying to get the shoe out of the way, bro. Seriously, that was probably one of the second or third best throws this entire weekend in the state of Florida. And I'm talking about Chiefs, and I'm talking about about Kyle Trask throws in this football game. That was a tremendous throw by Mark Marco Wilson. He had a linebacker in his face. He couldn't see where he was throwing, and he just chunked it. That wasn't trying to get the shoe out of the way. He was throwing it on purpose. The problem now with it, and I feel bad for him, and on a personal level, I really do feel bad for Marco Wilson, because if they don't win the SEC championship or or if they do win the SEC championship and they still don't make the college football playoff because they're a two-loss football team, it's going to be on him for the rest of his life. For the rest of his life, he is going to regret that decision. It will be one of the worst decisions that he is thinking about in his life. This entire life, the moment he is on his deathbed, laying in a bed, staring at the ceiling, he is going to say, God, I wish I'd never thrown that shoe. I wish I'd have never thrown that shoe. Have you ever seen the movie Mr. Destiny? It's a it's a it's a god awful corny movie that Jim Belushi is in, and I watched it as a kid because Jim Belushi plays baseball in the movie, and I'm a baseball guy, so I, I've obviously watched it. But there was a whole theory called it was called Mr. Destiny, where Jim Belushi says that if he would have hit just one baseball instead of striking out, his whole life would be different. So I'm glad that we mentioned the Dark Knight because. It is the guy that plays the butler in The Dark Knight that says, you know, is the bartender and gives him his wish. And so he gives him his wish to go back and see what his life would have been like if he would have just hit that one pitch. And he hits the goes back. He hits his pitch. It goes for a home run. They win the championship. And then 
He then has this amazing life where he's the CEO of this company and he's married to this woman that he's always wanted to be married to. He's got this magnificent house with like 15 cars where basically just walks out and goes, hey, I'll drive that one today. You know, he's thinking he has this great life and all. But if you've seen the movie, then you know how it ends. But for, for the point of the story, we're going to stop right here. That is going to be Marco Wilson. There's going to be a point in time in his life, if Florida does not win the SEC championship this week, he is going to be sitting at a bar somewhere in 45 years looking at his friends going, I wish I'd have never thrown that shoe. I wish I would have never thrown the shoe. How different would my life be if I never through the shoe. That is. That is it. It's become a meme. It's become jokes. They're putting gator heads on top of Jordan's shoes now or on jo- Jordan's image. And the basketball has turned into a, ba- into a shoe. They, they're doing all of that. Okay, there's memes everywhere for about it. He's a big, huge joke. He's supposed to play a game this weekend. And if they lose, but more or less, if they actually win... And don't make it into the college football playoff because of that shoot throw. He is going to regret it for the rest of his life. He just is. So that is why that game against LSU was so significant. Look, we could talk about some other games. Alabama rolled. And, you, and I don't know why everybody says that, but it's the roll tide thing. So Alabama rolled. They destroyed Arkansas the way that they absolutely should have. Georgia beat Mizzou, and now you also have a brand new head coach at Vanderbilt that is the defensive coordinator for Notre Dame. So Vanderbilt's recruiting class, which when's a recruiting class ever been good, they are getting a coach that is not going to be finished coaching at least for one more week. So he cannot help at all with National Signing Day. And now... You are potentially not going to have him until January, which, again, is major publicity. It's good publicity for Vanderbilt because if Notre Dame does make it in the college football playoff, at some point in time, semifinals, national championship, they'll start putting that logo directly beside his name, talking about how he is the, the next head coach for Vanderbilt whenever Notre Dame season is over with. So it's good publicity. Plus, If you're Vanderbilt, why don't you go to Notre Dame to get you a head coach? Because you know that the academic standards are about about the same. So why don't you do that? That's a very smart move by Vanderbilt to go and get somebody. Look at their last two coaches, Stanford and now Notre Dame. That's a great great decision-making. Now, I love Derek Mason as a person and – you're going to see over the course of the next few minutes, you have to differentiate coaching ability and person. Those two have to be separated. And we're going to talk about more about that here in just a minute with the game that we know all has now had this huge ripple effect inside the state of Alabama and could have a ripple effect in Louisiana or it could have a ripple effect in the state of Oregon or it could have a ripple effect in Tuscaloosa or some other places. So we'll talk about that in just a second. But do not forget 
as we are sitting here on this Monday, make sure that you follow us on KCPN. We've had a, hot, a lot of people that have hopped in on the stream. We appreciate you doing so and watching this wherever you are on your Monday, on your on your lunch break, if you are listening in, in the Central Standard Time or if you are on the East Coast as you get back to work. Or, of course, if you want to go West Coast and that, you're about to get ready for lunch. So we appreciate you hopping in on KCPN. But then comes this. And we all knew that it was going to happen after this performance that Auburn put up against Mississippi State. Okay? This was horrific. And Tank Bigsby had an amazing game, rushed for 192 yards. He's the only reason that Auburn won this football game. Well, that and Anders Carlson. Because this team and this offense looked inept. It looked totally clueless. It looked like a football team that knew its identity, knew that it sucked, and didn't care. This is the field goal at the end of the first half. Look at the score. It is six to three. Now, all people outside of the SEC, you don't know this, but back in like 2008, Auburn and Mississippi State played in a game where it was three to two, and that was the final score. Auburn won on a field goal. Mississippi State's obviously their only score of the game was on a safety, and that is how the game ended, three to two. It's always a running joke whenever these two teams play because the three-two game gets called back up. This is what it looked like. In fact, I think the three-to-two game might have looked better than this game. The highlight of this game was this play right here, or I should say this play coming up because Tank Bigsby does a great job at getting open and getting down and getting huge run after huge run in the game. Then comes the Seth Williams video, the cornerback talking trash into his face, and you can see it too. He's got his mouthpiece out. He's just yelling. I mean, just going off. On Seth Williams. And then this happens. Seth Williams beats him, scores the touchdown, and then gets up and gets right in his face because that player had been talking trash to him for like the last hour. That was the best video. That is the best thing that came from this Auburn-Mississippi State game. And that was it. You had horrible playing. You had horrible offensive production. Now, there was talk, and we heard it from Tom Hart, and we heard it from, from Cole uh, and even Jordan Rogers. that, look, they told us, they being Auburn, told everybody during their meetings that they had during the week, look, the first half is going to be ugly. And then the second half, we're going to take over with Tank, and that's where you're really going to see our offense start to really open up. So if it's ugly in the first half, that is by design. But this offense was Tank Bigs being out. You know what it looks like? It looks like 2011 Auburn that was Michael Dyer and nothing else. And eventually, teams started stacking the box and putting eight and nine guys in because they knew that Blake Trotter and, was it Mosley, Clint Mosley, couldn't make it, couldn't make any of the passes. They eventually, I want to say they went to, was it Todd Frazier? 
it may have been Todd Frazier that they went to, and it's just the offense was just so bad. And so with 2011 coming, you knew that this was all the offense was going to be because they couldn't pass the football. Auburn cannot pass the football. They have a five-star quarterback, and they cannot pass the football at all. And you see the two-point conversion. This is going to be the final score. It's going to be 24-10. to 10. Mississippi State is not going to do anything else in this football game. And eventually, it gets to the end. Now, if you're watching, and I say this because if you're watching this game, how entertaining was this game for you? Again, I know that, that Gracie said that this game had, had her sweating talking about LSU-Florida. But if you're an Auburn fan, and we appreciate ESPN and CBS getting us all those videos that you've been seeing here over over the, the show so far today. But if you are an Auburn fan, how were you watching this football game? Because I will be very honest with you and very candid with you. I was told before the game that the outcome of this game is going to determine what direction Auburn goes with Gus Malzahn. But as I continued to watch the game, I kept thinking to myself, if this game is the determining factor of what direction Auburn goes with their football program, how are you sitting in your house, in your boardroom, in whatever bar or restaurant you are, if you are are somebody of Auburn, maybe you may have even been a star while watching the game. How are you watching this football game knowing that this game is going to determine Malzahn's future and watch this game and think, man, I'm so glad. Look how great this game is. This game is so good. This is the game that tells me we should keep Gus Malzahn. This game was god-awful. Everything looked so bad on the offensive side. And I think that's the other key to this. Because you can look at the wins and losses. You can absolutely look that he's won two out of every three games that he's coached in in, in Auburn history. And you go back to 2013, Miracle at Jordan-Hare, the kick six, being 13 seconds away from a national championship. Like You can go back to all of those moments. You can look at 2017 and, and beating the number one team in the country twice and basically back-to-back home games and beating Georgia and Alabama and then making it to the SEC championship after you'd already lost two games in that season. And unfortunately... And this is the good and the bad about college football is unfortunately it is about a lot of behind the scenes stuff with college football. It's kind of a reason a lot of times I'm more leaning towards the NFL because it's not as dirty as what college football is and college football is nowhere close to as dirty as what college basketball is. But there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff going on at Auburn. And if you do not know, and this is kind of where this backstory starts to come in because I want to give you a little insight to what the thought process is behind and with the Auburn Tigers. Auburn hires Gene Chizik in 2008 or 2007. No, it was 2008. In 2008, 
let go of Tommy Tuberville after the national or after the Auburn gets blown out by Alabama in the Iron Bowl, which has become a trend. Malzahn is brought in as offensive coordinator after being the offensive coordinator at Tulsa. Auburn wins the national championship. Cam Newton, okay. Then 2011 takes place. Auburn loses like 18 of their 22 starters. Sounds kind of like LSU, but Auburn doesn't recruit like LSU, so pew. And Malzahn then leaves to become the head coach at Arkansas State. Gene Chizik brings in a Scott Leffler, which was a offensive coordinator that was going to bring in a, the pro-style offense because Gene Chizik wanted to go totally away from the spread and wanted to go back to the pro-style because that is what the dominant football teams in college football were running at the time. So he does that. It totally blows up in his face. He finishes 3-9, and nine, and he gets fired. Jay Jacobs was the athletic director for Auburn back in 2013. 2012-2013, he makes the firing. He then puts together a search committee made up of Heisman winners for Auburn outside of Cam Newton. You had Pat Sullivan, who won the Heisman Trophy for Auburn back in the 70s. Bo Jackson, don't have to really tell anybody who Bo Jackson is. I want to say that Charles Barkley was on this committee as well. And those are basically your guys. There may have been somebody else that was also involved there. But this is your search committee. They go and hire Malzahn. Now, behind the scenes, there's always been taught or talk that with Auburn, Malzahn was going to be brought in because he was basically told, hey, look, go to Arkansas State, get a get some some experience being a head coach so that when we move away from Gene Chizik to go to you, we have a conversation that says, hey, look, this guy's had coaching experience. He's the one that helped us win the national championship. He's the one that was the mastermind behind this offense. Let's go ahead and get him. So Malzahn does come in in 2013. Now, through that period of time, Jay Jacobs, as the offensive or as the athletic director, was eventually relieved of his duties and became an athletic director in name only. Now, there was a lot of factors that came into it, but eventually the biggest factor that played into Jay Jacobs leaving was the fact that the softball team started getting in a lot of trouble. There was allegations of relationships between coaches and players and hookups while on road games, all this other stuff. And eventually it just became so much that there was that eventually Jay Jacobs had to be, had to be, had to be let go. And he steps down. And during that period of time, that was in 2017, when Gus Malzahn is making this amazing run after losing two games, one to Clemson, one to LSU, and then goes on to beat the number one team in the country in Georgia, beats the number one team in the country, Alabama, has an opportunity to play in the SEC championship. And if Auburn would have beat Georgia again inside the brand-new Mercedes-Benz Stadium, Auburn would have had an opportunity 
to make it into the college football playoff. Now, eventually, Georgia wins that game. You see it then as Alabama and Georgia play in the national championship game and so forth. We appreciate ESPN for that video as well. But they have all of that opportunity. And what happens is Arkansas fires Brett Bielema. They start looking for another head coach. Gus Malzahn is from Arkansas. Now, this I'm, this is more of a backstory for a lot of the, the people that are not Alabama-Auburn fans that don't know the whole story. And so, Jimmy Sexton, who is Malzahn's agent, who is basically the agent to like every big-name college football coach, is then has to contact the president of Auburn at the time and says, look, we know you don't have an athletic director. Jay Jacobs has no power whatsoever. But my client, being Gus Malzahn, has this opportunity to go to Arkansas, and we think it's a really great deal. The only way that he will, will stay at Auburn is if he gets a good pay raise. So what eventually happens is the president, who is not an athletics guy, who's not a sports guy, he was brought in for the academic side of the university, then puts together a package that is like the most god-awful, guaranteed money contract, 75, seven point, or $75 million for 10 years or something like that. It was horrific. Okay, But there's also no real outs for the Auburn Tigers. The contract was so bad. And honestly, if you're Malzahn, why do you not accept it? I mean, really. If you're Malzahn, why don't you accept this massive contract? And so he accepts it. He goes on. He has a mediocre 2018, has a mediocre 2019, but they do beat Alabama. And the continued conversation is, why, why is Auburn not letting him go? Heck, the conversation was right after the SEC championship when Auburn lost to Georgia in that game. Why on earth did Auburn sign this deal? Because you always hear rumors and conversation about, oh, so-and-so is here, so X team is here. Because what you don't really realize is, and this is the reason why, you know, this comes with some news for what is going to go on currently with the new head coaching search, is coaches cannot talk to other universities until the regular season is over with. Normally, that would have been two weeks ago. But with the way college football is this year, everything's been bumped back. That means your Alabamas, your Floridas, your Oklahomas, your Iowa States, all these other ones, these teams that are still playing, and a lot of SEC teams are still playing as well because we have a full slate of games on Saturday. They, their assistant coaches or their head coaches can't even talk to a university until after Saturday's over with. So what will happen is very similar to what you kind of saw with what happens with Butch Jones is Butch Jones is in Fayetteville with Alabama because Alabama's playing, playing Arkansas at 11 a.m. Right when that game's over with, everybody walks to the airport terminal. Everybody gets on one plane for Alabama. Butch Jones gets on another one. Pew, gone. There we are. So now, a lot of these coaches are, can't even talk because some of them still have regular season games going on. So Arkansas and, and Butch Jones goes one way, Alabama goes another one. One flies, one's flying to, to Texas or to Tuscaloosa. The other one is going to Jonesboro, Arkansas. That's where Butch Jones was named the head coach at Arkansas State. So that all being said, there were talks about 
in Arkansas, there were people that were flying into Georgia because they were going to talk with Malzahn right after the SEC championship game to sign him to a contract and name him the Arkansas football coach the very next day. So with that being talked about, Auburn fans woke up Saturday morning to this this conversation that Malzahn had already signed this massive 10-year deal for $75 million, and there was no way to get out of it. And the buyouts were going to decrease year after year, but they were still just astronomical amounts. So, fast forward to 18, crappy season. Go into 19, Decent season, but still you beat Alabama, so some so some Auburn fans are happy, but still not great. Then you go into this season where you started off great, they beat Kentucky, then it just you lose to South Carolina, you get destroyed by Georgia, you get destroyed by Alabama, and you're just eh, 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 and it's just bad. It's bad after bad after bad. And you lose to Texas AM and and it's and so everything is going wrong. So, the conversation then goes, do you fire Gus Malzahn? Now, if you're watching and you've seen the headlines, $21 million. How do you fire a coach in 2020 with a pandemic? And that means you have to pay this man $21 million. Okay, fact and fiction on this. Auburn's not having to pay him $21 million right now. Alan Green is not sitting at his desk writing a check that says Gus Malzahn, line 21, comma, 000, how many is this? Yeah, there's six zeros, zero, zero, zero. Here's $21 million. Here you go. That's not how this works. In Malzahn's contract, he has to be paid $11 million before January 13th. They have 30 days to pay him $11 million. So somebody in accounting, 11, zero, 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 six, yeah, six zeros, there we go. Okay, they do have to pay that. Then Albert has to pay Malzahn $2.5 million for the next four years. Okay, everybody caught up? We're good, we're good, we're good. Okay, there you go. So, Yes, it's a big deal. But what does college football have that the NFL doesn't have? Boosters, which is where majority of this money comes from anyway, no matter what head coach you're talking about. Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, you talk about Lincoln Riley, you look at at, at Ryan Day. Majority, 95% of their contract is going to be coming from boosters. So what happens is they get a they get amount of money from the university, say five hundred thousand dollars or whatever it is. They get five hundred thousand dollars in in their pay. They get a hundred thousand dollars for this and five hundred thousand for this. Then in that contract, it's going to say you then get seven. You get seventy four point five million dollars in appearance fees coaching fees and X, Y, and Z. And that's where the boosters start to come in and the boosters donate the money in. The pandemic has been awful. And I'm not saying that this is what's happening, but there is a gentleman, not going to say his name because if you're an Auburn fan listening, you know exactly who this is anyway. 
There is a gentleman that is an, a major Auburn booster that works in one industry that has not been affected by the pandemic. And it's not the medical field, and it's also not Tim Cook. Because, yes, Tim Cook is the first person everybody thinks of. CEO of Apple. Yeah, you think. I don't know how much or if any of his money is going towards these contracts. But there is a guy who's in the lumber industry. And he's one of the biggest lumber distributors of new home builds in the state of Alabama. He's having a really good year. Because I don't know if you've been to Home Depot or Lowe's or Ace is the place your friendly hardware folks. I don't know if you've been there. Lumber's expensive. Because price of lumber has went up. Price of lumber goes up. The lumber industry starts making more money, and the people that run the lumber industry makes more money as well. So this particular booster makes a ton of money, and he's one of Auburn's biggest boosters. I have a feeling he's a part of this, okay? Personal opinion, not fact. But now the conversation goes, because let me say before we move on, Gus Malzahn as a person is amazing. There are so many players that love him as a person. There's his wife, Christy, amazing lady, okay? She cares about these players. She takes them in as her own. They come to their house for dinners, everything. They are like their children. Gus Malzahn is an amazing coach for his players. He will take up for his players no matter what the circumstances are, and that is the reason why he is so loved by so many players. As a person, Auburn did an amazing job at hiring him because he has represented the university in amazing ways. I've been skeptical. If you know me, I've had countdowns to when he was being fired. I've told him to his face. But as a person, he is amazing. And I, and I want that to be on record because when you, you have to separate the two, and I mentioned this earlier, you've got to separate the person, the coach, because those are two different ways that you're looking at somebody. This coaching a hire is going to be one of the most important in Auburn history because you are already behind Georgia, LSU, Alabama. Yes, two of those have won national championships. Don't do the other finger. One of those should have won a national championship, but was beat by the other one that won the national championship. So you're behind your three biggest rivals. You are very close to becoming irrelevant in sports, in college football specifically. You don't have a football-only facility. Yes, it's going to get built, but you're still getting money for that. In fact, this hiring is probably going to expedite that football-only facility getting built. Now, this is the biggest in history because unless you got to think about this if you're an Auburn fan and you're watching KCPN, make sure you give us a follow. Wink, wink. But when Gus Malzahn was hired, he was the very last hire that Pat Dye had influence in. This is where the boosters, the people of significance in the Auburn family, all of that kind of plays into this. But 
Pat Dye has had a major influence on who Auburn hires football-wise because Jay Jacobs, the former athletic director for Auburn, was one of his players. So outside of Terry Bowden being hired, Gus Malzahn, Gene Chizik, Tommy Tuberville, everybody had to get signed off by Pat Dye. And so this now leads to a scenario where you do not have an athletic director trying to please his old boss. If you're not in Auburn, you, this is what it was called. It was always called like the, the, the good old boy network because it was basically all the people that were connected to Pat Dye were the ones that ran the coaching hirings and what went on in the athletic departments in Auburn. And so Gus Malzahn was the last one of that breed. We thought Jay Jacobs was really going to turn it around when he then hired Bruce Pearl because he had to because he was kind of on the hot seat and he had to make a big hire. But he hires Malzahn. That was the last football coach he ever hired at Auburn. And that was made with Pat Dye's pretty much Pat Dye's blessing is why. So for the first time in over 40 years, Pat Dye and Jay Jacobs are not going to be connected in a head coaching search for Auburn University. That is why this is such a big hire because this is one now that you can go outside the Auburn family. You can go and find somebody that has the the credentials that you really want. But you also have to find somebody that is going to be okay with making, say, roughly four to five million dollars over the course of the next three or four years because they're still paying Malzahn that period of time. Because basically, Malzahn was getting paid seven point five million dollars a year. They're taking two point five of that, and he's going to continue to get paid for the next four years. Now they have five million dollars in, in a in a pot that they basically can pay. Maybe the head coach and his offensive and defensive staff, or they can just give the head coach and know they're going to spend a little bit more, more money for their athletic partners or the, the, the rest of the staff. That means that Auburn is still going to pay the 7.5, maybe go up to 8 or $9 million for staff and everything to get rid of Malzahn, to bring in a new coach that is not scared of Nick Saban. The funny part about it is every single coach is getting talked about right now are all former Saban guys, one of which is still a Saban guy. Bill Napier, Billy Napier, the head coach at Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns. That's like saying that. Lafayette's a god-awful place to live, okay? It really is. I, I know I almost took a job there. I toured there. The people are amazing. They really buy you, but they've been hit by hurricanes. The city is kind of run down. The Cajun Dome is really cool. It needs to be updated. Football stadium's getting a little bit old. It's been renovated some. Amazing softball team. Baseball team is good. Basketball program is good. But the city itself needs some help. By the way, uh, fun fact for you. If you've watched True Detective, the first season, with, with Matthew McConaughey, the hospital that uh, that was in uh, True Detective at the very end as they're both kind of standing outside. Yeah, I've been to that hospital. That was part of the tour whenever I went to Lafayette. It was kind of funny. But they have Billy Napier, fantastic offensive mind, coached at Arizona State, was an offensive analyst uh, for Nick Saban, eventually coached for Nick Saban as well 
And so he is the one that is like number one on the list. You also have Mario Cristobal has been a head coach. And just as we were speaking, literally moments ago, Washington pulled out of the uh, of the Pac-12 championship and Oregon is going to replace them and is going to play USC this weekend in the Pac-12 championship game. So he's playing in another Pac-12 championship game by technicality, but he is. And you also have Steve Sarkeesian, who is the current offensive coordinator for Nick Saban, another amazing offense. If you don't know his history, he was let go at USC because uh, of alcohol problems. He went into rehab. He became an analyst for for Alabama under Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin took the job at FAU. Sart became the offensive coordinator. He was the offensive coordinator for the blowout or, yes, for the loss that Alabama had against Clemson just a few years ago. But he, but once he went to the – he then went to the NFL – was the offensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons and then came back to Alabama. If he is sober, and I say that not in a joking way, very serious, if he is sober, Sarkeesian would be a tremendous option. He's been at big-time programs. He's won at many programs. He would be a great hire. But you have to really take into account if he's going to fall off the wagon and he could embarrass the university. That's why USC let him go. That's not just me saying it. The university has said that. So that's another Mario Cristobal. He's winning at Oregon. He's playing in the conference championship again. Again, they've won the conference championship. He's won the Rose Bowl. He's doing a lot better his second go round than what he was his first go round. So there's some positives for him as well. Billy Napier is the interesting one because Napier also coached under Dabo. And he's been a part of two winning programs. And he's winning at UL. And he's one of the best recruiters in the nation. That to me, I'm really on the Billy Napier bandwagon right now. Like I, I'm pretty good with him. Plus, he just looks like a guy that's going to come in and not be scared of anybody. Go look at his pictures. Oh, he he looks he looks like a BAMF man. He looks like he's ready to go. And so, that's my pick. But unfortunately, even though we have the SEC championship happening this weekend. The conversation the entire time has been on what's happening with the, the Malzahn coaching hiring because it's one of the top two or three jobs in the SEC. And then you also have, unfortunately, you know, your conference championship game that's going on this weekend for Alabama and Florida. And this is going to be part of that train as well with what's happening in the SEC. Now, there's a potential curveball that I have to bring up because this just happened a few seconds ago. This may not have anything to do with Auburn, but it may have something to do with some Big 12 teams. Art Bryles, yes, that Art Bryles has just resigned as the head coach at Mount Vernon High School. And... This is the interesting part because he's trying to get back into coaching and there's a thought that he could be going to Texas Tech. I don't really believe so, but pay attention to where Art Bryles could go. 
Not saying that he's going to leave to become a head coach, but Hugh Freeze could have him as an offensive coordinator. Hugh Free he could be the replacement for Hugh Freeze at Liberty if Hugh Freeze were to come to Auburn. That's another coach that's getting talked about. Who do you think is going to be the head coach? And we're wrapping up on this Monday. Who do you think is eventually going to be Auburn's head coach? Because that is the the conversation happening throughout the SEC. Shoe throwing. Auburn's got a coaching coaching hire opening. Which way is Auburn going to go? Thought is is that they have their target. They just have to wait for the season to be over. So Mario Cristobal, he's coaching this weekend. So there's there's a possibility for him. Sark, we know he's coaching this weekend. And even UL. Billy Napier is coaching this weekend. So that's really not a hint at to where Auburn is going. But I fully expect on Sunday there is going to be, or it, it may even be late Saturday night after the game with, with, with Alabama and Florida being over with, that an announcement will be made the moment that that game is over, whether it's the Pac-12 championship, the Sun Belt championship, or, or not, yeah, Sun Belt championship, or the SEC championship, one of those three coaches, to me, is going to be heading to Auburn. That's my opinion. We'll see what happens. Make sure that you follow me on Twitter at Joe Hunk. Make sure that you follow KCPN wherever you are social media wise, Instagram, Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, Facebook, wherever that is. You get that notification. I appreciate all of you that have hopped on today. This has been an amazing we the fans, because of how many of you have hopped in, watched, shared your thoughts. Thank you so much. We will talk to you next Monday where we will have a college football playoff, Final Four named, most likely a head coach at Auburn named, and some more coaching vacancies throughout the SEC. All of that coming up next Monday on We the Fans. Have a tremendous rest of your week. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. If you're completing a degree in community college and want to take the next step to a four-year degree, or you're not satisfied with the college you're currently attending, we want to see you at College of St. Mary in Omaha. We make it easy to transfer your credits and have financial aid and scholarships available. Plus, we cover the costs of your textbooks for the first semester. Get the support you need to finish your degree faster. Make the transfer to College of St. Mary. Apply today at csm.edu. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's, uh, actually Geico's. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money? Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.